You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you this morning, City on a Hill. Uh, and fantastic just to hear uh, from you already today how God's uh, at work in your life, in and through this series. Thank you, Kat, for sharing a bit of your own heart, your journey. It's just wonderful to see people uh, engaging in this series, uh, getting along to their gospel communities, coming along to service and making the most of this. So why don't we thank the Lord for His goodness and grace uh, as we continue. Our series, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow. Uh, To lay something of a foundation for this morning's message, I wanted to share with you the words of a famous song uh, by jazz artist Peggy Lee. Uh, Peggy Lee uh, grew up in a small uh, town, North Dakota, before moving uh, to Hollywood in search of fame and success. And, you know, like most artists today, she had her fair share of setbacks before finally making her big break. And she rockets up the charts. Her songs are hitting number one, number one. She's uh, recognized as the most popular female singer. She's got Grammy Awards. She's She's getting leading roles in, in major Hollywood movies. She, she's made it. And yet, interestingly, behind the curtain, behind the curtain, she's grappling uh, with her own purpose and the ultimate meaning in life. And so towards the end of her career, she approaches the mic and she sings this now famous song, Is this all there is? I'll read you these words from the song. I remember when I was a 12-year-old, my daddy took me to the circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And as I sat there watching, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a circus? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. And then I fell in love with the most wonderful boy in the world. We'd take long walks by the river or just sit for hours gazing into each other's eyes. We were so very much in love. Then one day he went away and I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. 
Peggy raises a great question. If this is all there is, why not break out the booze and have a ball? Now, you might be surprised to hear this, but one of Jesus' earliest followers made the exact same point. The Apostle Paul said, if there is no God, if there is no resurrection, if there is no life beyond this grave, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But of course, this is not the way that Paul chose to live. This is not what he proclaimed towards others. Why? Because Paul was convinced that this is not all there is. He believed that God is real. And he believed that God had come to us in Jesus to help us know that this is not all there is. And so what did that mean? It meant that he and the early church didn't break out the booze, but lived a radical and countercultural life. Instead of living for themselves, they sought to surrender everything down before God. Now, to the outside world, that made no sense. But we who are in Christ know that he who chases life in this world will lose it. And whoever loses their life for Christ's sake will find it. So, Over the past few weeks, we have been in this series, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow. It's a series to challenge, inspire, and help us all make the most, take hold of the the faith, the life, the joy that we have in Jesus. And yet we've seen that without the Holy Spirit, without grace-inspired effort, this ain't going to happen by accident. We need a trellis to hold up that vine. We need practices and rhythms and spiritual disciplines to help our life fly and flourish. And we've already looked at some of those disciplines like uh, self-examination and uh, spiritual encouragement. Last week, we talked about strategic withdrawal, the call to go deep with Jesus that we might then pour ourselves out in, in gospel engagement with our world. This morning, we're going to turn up the dial a little bit. And talk about the biblical call, the spiritual practice of self-denial and delight. Uh, What is self-denial? Here's a draft um, that I shared with our team. Self-denial is the grace-inspired call for all believers to surrender themselves completely and wholeheartedly to the way of Jesus. In denying ourselves, we choose to reject evil, dethrone the idols of our heart, and forsake certain pleasures and worldly pursuits. And we do this in the power of the Spirit in order to loosen our attachment to the world, grow in Christ-like love, and deepen our joy, our delight in Him. So notice that whenever we talk about self-denial, we're talking about grace-inspired effort. 
This is not a matter of uh, human effort or human will. Uh, we're not doing this to earn God's approval or uh, you know, twist His arm for His blessing. No, it's a move of the Spirit in us, inspired by His grace. Uh, before we explore the what and the why of self-denial, let us lay something of a biblical foundation. And a great place for us to start here is actually to consider the life and way of Jesus, because we know that being a Christian isn't just a matter of agreeing with Jesus, it's actually a call to follow Jesus. So you want to be asking yourself, did Jesus practice self-denial? When you look at the life of Jesus, do you see him practice self-denial? I actually put this question to our staff team uh, on Monday this week, and uh, some fantastic insights and and a great response. Uh, We talked about Luke chapter 4, where we're told that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he he ate nothing during those days. Right, so just think about that for a moment. It's a famous moment, but Jesus uh, went into the wilderness. He gave up time with family and friends and comfort at home. He went into the wilderness. He said no to food for 40 days. And in addition to that, he said no to the many temptations that the devil laid at his feet. And then what about Mark 2? If we can bring that up, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served... But what? To serve and give his life up as a ransom for many. You know, it's worth remembering that when Jesus came to this world, he could have pursued whatever life he wanted. He is infinitely powerful, incredibly insightful. He had followers who were willing to fight for him, to live for him, to die for him. And yet, what did Jesus choose to do with the infinite responsibility and power and resources that he had? He chose to lay it down. And look at the depth of that laying it down in Paul's writing. Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, what, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible and looking at the life of Jesus, I can overlook his own personal struggle and cost. Sometimes when I read about Jesus in the New Testament, I kind of imagine him with this kind of glow and this, you know, constant tranquility and constant peace. You know, whatever he wanted to do, he could do. He's walking on water. He's turning water into wine. I mean, whatever, he's infinitely powerful, right? Which is true. Jesus is fully God, Sovereign and supreme, and yet sometimes we overlook that he was also fully man. What does that mean? It means he, he struggled with the same struggles 
the same temptations that you and I wrestle with. The temptation to find our approval in what other people think. The temptation to do what we, we think will make us feel good. The temptation to draw away from what we know is right. As we're talking about this wrestle, uh, Brit uh, helpfully uh, brought to attention the, the struggle of Jesus in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, here we find Jesus on his knees. His mates are asleep, completely unaware of the horrors that await him. And Jesus is on his knees and there's a trembling, there's a dripping of sweats of blood. There is an agonizing over what is to come. He's always known that the cross is coming. He's always declared that the cross is coming, but now he must face it for himself. And do you remember his prayer? Like a young boy coming before their father, desperate for a way out, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And yet no sooner do these words leave the lips of Jesus that he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. This is the essence of self-denial. The essence of a deep, wholehearted, spirit-filled trust and surrender before God. And here's what is so important for you and I to see today. When it comes to Jesus, we are not mere spectators. When it comes to the way of the cross, you and I are not mere spectators. We who are in Jesus are called what? To follow him. Consider the Bible reading that we heard read out this morning. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Uh, those of you who are familiar with that passage will know that immediately Peter grabs Jesus and says, No, 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 you're not going to suffer. That's not going to happen. Right? There's going to be a different, there's not going to be like that. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. As a rule of thumb, if Jesus calls you Satan, you're not having a great day, right? You've probably crossed a line. But it's an interesting insight to call him Satan. Why? Because Satan's greatest fear with Jesus was not Jesus' popularity and fame. It wasn't the healings and miracles. The devil was eager to stop him from going to the cross, because it would be the cross that would disarm the rulers, the authorities. It would be the cross that would plunge darkness into defeat. Jesus knows this, which is why he keeps his eye on the cross. He keeps going. He keeps his walk towards Calvary. That is the way of Jesus. And it is our way in him. 
Turning then to his disciples, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will, what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How many of you know this is an incredibly challenging verse? The mantra of our world is self-fulfillment. It's a world that teaches us not only to find yourself, but follow and fulfill yourself. Follow your heart. Chase your dreams. Seize the day. You do you. These aren't just cliches and cheap slogans. They are the Ten Commandments of a postmodern world. A world that has abandoned God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and replaced it with a new trinity of me, myself, and I. By show of hands, who got along to the Underceptions event last Sunday? Right? A few hands. Uh, John Dixon interviewing Rebecca uh, McLaughlin. Uh, she's written a great book, uh, Secular Creed. And what I really appreciated in their interview, it was an extended interview, what I really appreciated was not only hearing her uh, you know, talk about faith in the public square and, and talk about it on an intellectual and political level, but also the moments that she opened up and shared of her convictions on a personal level. She shared how, uh, I mean, she's now a Christian, uh, she, she's now married and has kids, uh, but she shared that as long as she can remember, uh, she's been attracted to to other women. And what does the world say to a woman like that? Follow your heart. Love is love. Don't let anyone get in the way of your happiness. And yet she's chosen not to listen to the world. She's chosen not even to listen to her own desire, but to submit her life and her way to Jesus. She's chosen to what? Pick up a cross to lay her life down in joy and obedience to Jesus. We need more Christians like that. Uh, women and men who are willing to take discipleship seriously. Men and women who don't just follow Jesus when it's convenient. But when it comes at a real, serious, life-altering cost. Now, I want to be clear and say that Jesus' call for self-denial is not at odds with the importance of self-care. Furthermore, the call to deny yourself is not a call to despise yourself. Right? We're not to hate ourselves. You need to hear loud and clear that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, you need to know that in Jesus you're known completely and loved deeply. And so when Jesus says deny yourself, we need to do a little bit of work here and make something of a distinction between you and yourself. What do I mean by that? I mean that in Jesus, there is the old self and there is the new self. 
The old self is the life you once lived. The old self is the life where you suppressed the truth about God, where you submitted to your own desires, where you exchanged the truth of the Creator for created things, the the old self. In Jesus, the old self has now died, and you've been what? Born again. In other words, you no longer belong to the world, you belong to Jesus. Right? You've been made new. You're a new creation. But what many of us forget is that the old life of death wages war with the new. There is now a struggle without and a struggle within. There is now what David Bennett calls a war of loves. In my new self, Guy Mason loves Jesus. In my new self, I thirst after his righteousness. In my new self, I I can flow with the spirit of compassion and kindness and generosity and strength. But at the same time, I am also pushed and pulled by the seduction of the world, the lies of the evil one. Even my old flesh is trying to draw me back. And so when Jesus says, deny yourself, he is not... It's not a call to suppress your personality or even extinguish any desire. Rather, it's a call to put to death my old self and now reorder my desires around the centrality and beauty of Jesus. Look at how the Apostle Paul unpacks this for us. Look at how he understands his new identity in Jesus. Colossians 3, set your mind, city on a hill, on things that are above not on things that are of earth, for you have what? Died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on what? The new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Um, I was at uh, City Uni uh, this week, they get together weekly. Do we have any City Uni people here this morning? Yeah, most Uni, uni people aren't up till about midday. Is that right, Curtis? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jin, who was uh, uh, one of the, well, he's one of the key leaders of City Uni, um, awesome bloke. He's also an intern at City on a Hill. Uh, sat me down for like an extended uh, interview. It was like Denton for Christians, and. He wanted to talk, because um, you, know, you know, everyone in the room is young and energetic, and I'm not, and he wanted to kind of like go back in time to my, when I was young as a Christian, right? Go back in time to when, I don't know, there was no internet, and we used to go to university on a horse and cart, back to those days. And it was interesting just to reflect on my formative years as a Christian, 
and how a lot of my struggles weren't actually intellectual and what I knew about God and believed about God and this and this and this. Actually, they were, they were personal choices about would I choose to follow Jesus or would I choose to follow myself? And there was these moments where, where I had to learn early a practice of self-denial. I think about you know, early decisions to stop getting plastered drunk at parties and to stop just hooking up with random girls. I think back to times where uh, I had to cut my fake ID. I had to stop swearing. I used to drop, drop F-bombs like every sentence. Um, I think back to saying no to sex before marriage, right? Like you look back and say, yeah, that sounds quite trivial. At the time, that weighed so heavily. Um, I think back to battles over porn, right? Back in the old days, you couldn't access porn on a phone. But that's not to say it wasn't around, and I knew that if Jesus was going to move in, that had to move out. Uh, I think back to being offered a, a major role in a TV show. People around me were over the moon. I was over the moon. I'd like, wow, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm in. And then I received the script and the character that they wanted me to play. Uh, in the opening scene was at a party, getting drunk, making out with the leading girl. And I get that acting is not yourself. You're portraying someone else. Right? I understand that. But that was the problem because the person they were asking me to portray was exactly my old self. And so I had to call up the casting director and I said, um, unfortunately, I can't take the role. And she says, why is that? And I said, well, it's just that whole drinking and making up with the girl thing. And she says, oh, are you gay? And I say, no, I'm, I'm Christian. And uh, like that, it, it, and again, you look back and you're like, well, it's kind of trivial and small, but in your, you know, university years, your, your late teens years, these, these were formative, defining, crossroads moment. Was I a perfect Christian? Heck no. I failed more times than I can remember. Um, but this is what I can tell you. I've never made a decision for Jesus that I've ever regretted. I think if you analyze in your life your moments of regret, you'll find that those regret Moments are anchored to moments of disobedience, where you didn't trust Jesus, where you didn't follow him. And here's what I also know now that I'm very old. Um, <laughs> the call to pick up your cross isn't just a once-off deal at the start of your faith. It's actually, which I didn't realize at the time, a call that you pick up each day for the years, decades that come. Right? In other words, self-denial is not a once-off decision. It is that, but it's also a process of sanctification and renewing to the very end. Uh, that's not to say you'll always battle the same sin. I'm sure that you can think back to a battle you had 10, 20 years ago that is long forgotten. But if you're honest with yourself, I'm sure you could see that the war with your old self, the old man, the old woman, is still very much alive. Um, I know that I'm at my best when I take on a posture of sacrifice and service in the home. I know that. Absolutely, I know that. And yet it's so easy for me to say, screw that, I'm just going to serve myself. Um, I know I'm at my best when I prioritize in my rule of life intimacy with God. I'm at my best then. When Jesus is most alive and I'm in those deep places, I'm going to be at my best. And yet, do you know how tempting it is for me to get lost in a world of busyness and email and Facebook and the temples of our digital age? 
I know I'm at my best when I'm enjoying quality time with my kids, and yet so easy to drift out and be disconnected and drift into myself. Uh, I have a spiritual mentor who I meet with ever so often, incredibly beautiful, always encouraging and warm, and he loves, you know, have a coffee in Carlton. He loves to start out the conversation, which is something gentle like this. Guy, what sin are you putting to death today? Much easier for me to talk about sins 20 years ago. <laughs> what sin? So, like, like let's, let's have a pastoral moment. What sin are you putting to death today? A rule of life has to include quiet times and gossip. We've talked about this, but a rule of life also needs those very honest moments. You know, we talked about spiritual examination. It's like that, but it's oppressing even further. It's a naming of these sins, these idols, but then a resolve to repent from them and put them to death. And we talked about examine as a daily process. That's great. We've talked about questions that you can be asking yourself ever so often. Uh, Even reading the scriptures, holding up Jesus and his word as a light to your feet to see where you are on the right path and where you are drifting away. But like a vine, there has to be some pruning. For some of us, that might be some very, what we call, dramatic sins. You might be knee-deep in dramatic sins of lust or greed or the misuse of power. I've also realized, the older I become, that sometimes the more dangerous sins are the subtle The quiet whisper of pride and self-righteousness. The subtle impulse to look down on others. The spiral of comparison and self-condemnation. The slow drift of spiritual apathy. The practice of self-denial... Spirit-filled, grace-centered, the practice of spiritual denial, it requires, it's going to require in you an attentiveness and um, a focus. It's it's like you've got to be willing to put the gloves on and enter the ring and say, all right, I want to go to war with this because it's not neutral. It's up for a fight. And you are called, the Bible says, not to just dance with it, but to pull out the trigger and put it to death. Like, that's how serious this is. Um, Now, don't mishear me. Jesus' call to self-denial doesn't mean you can't enjoy nice things. It's nice to enjoy good food, good wine. In fact, ironically, I was penning a lot of the uh, notes for this sermon on Wednesday, which happened to be my birthday Hey, yeah, right? Not too late to get gifts, not too late. Um, I like a birthday month. And so the, ironically, here I am, I'm like deep and I'm reading the word, I'm saying self-denial and self-denial and everyone's sending me texts, eat cake, eat cake, eat cake, buy KFC. I'm like, ah, right? Is it wrong to eat a whole bucket of KFC in one sitting? No, maybe. Uh, <laughs> 
right? Jesus, one of favorite miracles is turning water into wine, right? Jesus is a life at the party. Christians should be a life at the party. If they're running out of fun, you bring the fun. But when it comes to your old man, when it comes to your old woman, when it comes to the shadow self, which are the patterns and practices and beliefs that are at odds with the way and the will of God, you must pull the trigger. And I use the word must deliberately because there is a lot at stake. Look at at what Jesus says. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Right? So notice that Jesus isn't just giving us a nice suggestion. He's not saying you might end up losing your life. He doesn't say there's a chance. No, he's being very clear here. All who build their happiness, all who try to build their life on the things of this passing world will lose it. If you run to your life, if you run to this world to find your life, you will not find it. You will lose it. I shared earlier the words of Peggy Lee. She says, if that is all there is, let's break out the booze and have a ball. It makes for a great song, but did it make for a great life? This is from her biography. Peggy Lee, the singing icon who kept her public perking, was often a completely different person in private. Friends and musicians describe her as obsessive, demanding, stubborn, illogical, eccentric, driven by anger, addicted to booze and tranquilizers, tortured by a lack of love. And estranged to the point of madness. He adds, she had great success and acclaim, but in the dark of night, she knew that much of it was a facade. She wanted her life to seem like a fairy tale, but for Peggy Lee, there was no happily ever after. Peggy Lee and the many, many, many who follow in her path serve as a cautionary tale for a world that seeks to find their life in this world. Whether wealth, sex, achievement, approval, praise, morality or religion, it could be anything or everyone. Calvin said the heart is an idol factory. And Jesus knows what life is for. Jesus knows that the idols of our heart not only dishonor God, they dehumanize us, they destroy us, they disappoint us, right? They rob us of the life that we were made to know, which is why Jesus says, deny yourself, dethrone these idols, put your sin to death, Wouldn't be a sermon about self-denial without a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's one for you. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world, but it is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. So what's that death going to look like in your life? Uh, For some, that might mean pulling the plug today on porn. To recognize that it is not good for you. It's harmful towards others. 
It's dishonoring to God, and so you're going to pull the plug. You're going to share that struggle with a mate and ask them to intercede in prayer. You're going to put on your computer certain software. You're going to take proactive and active steps in the power of God, and the grace of God, to put it to death. For some of you, it may be resolving right now to put an end and put to death that bitterness that is plaguing your heart and to extend a hand of forgiveness and grace to that friend or that family member. To be proactive, to say, I'm not going to let this eat me up anymore. I'm going to put this to death. I'm going to respond with the grace that I've received in Jesus. For some of you, this might mean a call to put to death the idol of greed in your life. How do you dethrone the idol of greed? You develop a practice of generosity. Instead of clinging so tightly to your wealth and your possessions and trying to find your security and your identity, you'll put it to death by giving these things away. For some of you, this may mean saying no to that relationship. A relationship that you know is not honoring to God. A relationship that you know that is not healthy for your soul. For some of you, it's about getting serious with your intimacy with Jesus. You've been in this series now for five weeks and you've heard practical examples and talks and preaching and, and, and yet you've not yet put into place any practice to deepen your faith in Jesus. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. So let us put to death our indifference. Let us put to death our poor habits. For some of you, it may mean testing your attachment to good things, to make sure those good things haven't become the main and ultimate thing. Going without alcohol for a time. Not buying that next outfit for a time. Not scrolling Instagram for a time. To test your heart and see if there is anything of offense within. Is any of this easy? No. Alice Cooper once said, drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's a real rebellion. Discipleship's not easy. Change and transformation is not easy. But is it possible? In the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, and amen. You might be caught in a web of idolatry and sin that you've been walking for decades. And one of the lies the enemy is going to tell you is that not only are you guilty, but that's who you are. No. In the authority of Jesus, you say, no, my old self has been put to death. We had a funeral. Were you there? I'm made new. And I've been created for something better. Because isn't that great about Jesus? Yes, he's going to warn you. But look at the promise. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. Where do we find our life? City on a hill. We find our life in Jesus. 
So Jesus is going to call us to a life, a hard and difficult life of self-denial. He's going to place you in positions Monday, Tuesday, Friday, where you will need to make a choice which road you're going to walk. And that's going to be difficult for you. He's going to want you to say no to the lies of the evil one. He's going to want you to say no to that temptation. He's going to want you to deny your own desire and flesh. But in saying no to the world, you are saying yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to greater joy. Yes to greater comfort. Yes to greater hope. Yes to greater love. I love this moment. I'm going to finish with this moment. I love this moment in the Gospel of Matthew. All right? And if you haven't sent through a question, make sure you do now. I love this moment in Matthew. So personal, so real, so relevant. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, and, and he's eager to follow Jesus. He's eager for life. He's very smart. He's very intelligent. He's got wealth. He's got affluence. He's very moral. And yet Jesus looks at him and what does he see in his heart? He sees that he's in grip of an idol. And so Jesus says to the rich young ruler, you know what, if you want to follow me, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Right? He just pierces through his heart and the rich young ruler is so gripped by his idol, he turns away from Jesus. He can't lay it down. He can't do that. And so he rejects Jesus and in the Bible tells us that he walks away sad. He loses his life. What a tragedy for the man or woman who would deny the offer of Jesus over earthly things. But you remember Peter? (laughs) Peter sees this going on. And then he leans towards Jesus with this question. He says, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And I love Jesus' response because he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't tell him to, you know, stop thinking about your sacrifice. What does he say? He says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Do you hear the promise? Jesus knows there's a cost in discipleship. Jesus knows and sees the sacrifice and sacrifices you make. He sees the cost of the Christian who rejects a consumeristic culture and chooses to live a life of generosity and grace towards others. He sees the cost of the young student who chooses to be bold in the university and to hold fast the truth and declare what is right. He sees the cost of the Christian woman who chooses to be single and reject the offers of earthly romance, not because those things are necessarily bad, but because she wants to surrender everything to Jesus. He sees the costs of the Christian man who remains faithful in marriage because they want to build a family that would mirror the gospel of Jesus. 
He sees the cost of the Christian mother and father who won't give up on their children but chooses to labor in prayer and patience and tender discipleship. He sees the cost of the man or woman who isn't seeking to make life all about them but is choosing daily to love others, to serve others, to stand in this generation as a city on a hill. Jesus sees your obedience, he knows your cost, and he promises you reward. He promises you joy. He promises you delight. He promises you joy in God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.